We're going to read from Matthew chapter 4. So if you would take your Bibles, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 12. Let's uh, stand together uh, for the reading of God's Word. Matthew 4, and I'll start reading in verse 12. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him back all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. This is God's word. You may be seated. There might not be a better text uh, to follow up from Todd's sermon last week than the text we have in front of us this morning, Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 25. For those of, that, those of you that were here, I remember Todd talked about a year-long process for us at Calvary uh, called the Antioch Process. If you go to the Antioch Process webpage we have up, you'll find this quote that kind of describes it from a big picture perspective. It says, we want clarity from God about what we as a church and individuals should be doing with our time, treasure, and talents. We want mission clarity so we can be both faithful to and fruitful in what God is calling us to, or so that we can maximally glorify God and make disciples. And so as Todd explained last week, we as a church, really for over a, almost a decade, have been through some significant transitions. As God has brought us through those transitions, how do we avoid complacency? How do we avoid just being satisfied with our own comfort? How do we avoid just feeling good that we got through the transitions and not just get stuck in maintenance mode? How do we think about the way to maximize instead our unity for the good of our neighbors and the world around us? How do we take this unity not as a self-contained gift for us to huddle up with, 
but a blessing to our neighbors and the world around us? These are the kind of questions that I think we will be asking ourselves over the next year through this Antioch process. What I think is important for us this morning as we look at our text and as you understand this process is that the process will need to be two things. It'll need to be a process for us collectively as a church, but also a process for each of us personally. Matthew 4, looking in 12 through 25, we see that Jesus' impact in his early ministry days is in the same way. Jesus' impact is both in a collective sense to the masses, but his impact is also deeply personal. Up to this point uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has been primarily a dependent character in the narrative in Matthew's Gospel. Others have acted on his behalf. Obviously, in the birth narrative of Jesus, he didn't have much to do with that. His parents moved him from Judea to Egypt and to Galilee. John baptized him. The Spirit guided him into the wilderness for his temptations. But now we see a unique shift and a unique turn in Matthew's narrative to Jesus being the initiator, the one pursuing four fishermen and also establishing a public ministry. We see it in two ways. We see Jesus' impact in a collective sense this morning, his teaching and preaching ministry. Matthew gives us a summary, a sentence of the collective message of Jesus' teaching and preaching when, Jesus, when Matthew records for us Jesus preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew records that Jesus' fame spread throughout all Syria Jesus was also healing people of all kinds of sicknesses and afflictions. Jesus' preaching, his teaching, his healings drew in followers from all over, from Galilee and Decapolis, Jerusalem and the greater area of Judea and beyond the Jordan. Jesus, in our text this morning, very clearly has a public impact on the masses. And people, because of what he's doing and what he's saying, people are coming to him from all over the place. But we also see in our text this morning, we find Jesus encountering four individuals and significantly altering their lives. Four fishermen. These four fishermen, Peter, his brother Andrew, James, and his brother John, are real individuals who were sought out by Jesus. Jesus ends up spending pretty much the rest of his life with these four individuals and a few more. What's interesting to note that once Jesus approaches them and calls them to follow him, we can hardly find anywhere in any of the four gospels where these four aren't present. There are very few parts of the story in which Jesus isn't with these men. Jesus significantly impacted the lives of four individuals, not just the masses. But before continuing on about this effect that Jesus can have on not only the masses, but us personally and individually, 
I want us to ask a few questions. Who is this Jesus again? Are we sure we want him to have that effect on our own lives that he had on these four fishermen? Are we sure? If he approaches us, should we run? Should we stay? Should we follow? Who is this Jesus? And what is he demanding of us that we're so sure that this impact is positive? Are we really willing to repent? And do we really believe the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Jesus is God's answer to death. He comes to us in our world, not in pride and arrogance to dominate, but he comes in the power of humility and in the strength of love to give life. This is the Jesus that Matthew is describing for us. This Jesus, the Son of God, assumed flesh to become like us in every respect so that he could in body approach four fishermen and radically change their lives and say, follow me. The divine was now able to be followed in a human body. This is the Jesus that calls us to follow him. Jesus came out of the water of baptism from John the Baptist and heard a voice from heaven. God the Father declaring over his son as he comes out of the water saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It is this Jesus that is coming to us and demanding of us. The question for us as we think about this is are we really ready to follow Jesus? Jesus is not asking us simply to make a one-time verbal commitment to him, but he's asking of us to totally and radically reorient all of our life around him. It's what he calls discipleship. Who is this Jesus that we are reorienting around? Well, in our text this morning, Matthew tells us that this Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. The first thing we see from our text this morning is that Jesus is the promised one. And it's not just a matter of fulfillment of prophecy just because these are facts that have to take in sequential order. He's saying that he is the promised one, the long-awaited for. Matthew already begins in the early part of this gospel, explaining to us that Jesus is a fulfillment of prophecy. In chapter 1, we're told that he fulfills the prophecy that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. In chapter 2, he tells us that Jesus is the promised one, the one from the least among the rulers of Judah to come and shepherd the people of Israel, to be born in little Bethlehem. Jesus is also the one who is to finally come out of Egypt. Out of Egypt, I've called my son. Also in Matthew 3, we see John the Baptist in fulfillment of prophecy, preparing the way for Jesus. And then specifically in our text this morning, we see that even Jesus going into Galilee was a fulfillment of prophecy. 
But I ask us again, is this the one we want to follow? Do we really believe in this virgin birth narrative? I don't know if you're familiar with it, but I don't think that's normal. God with us coming through the womb of a virgin through the Holy Spirit. And coming from little Bethlehem. If you are coming as a king to the world, Bethlehem should not have been where you were headed. Out of Egypt, one from bondage. John the Baptist isn't necessarily the best entourage to have. Eating locusts, camel's hair, not the usual welcome of a king heralding his coming. And then to go into Galilee, this was the wrong place with the wrong associations, associations, the compromised Jews who live in Galilee, compromised of a community of Gentiles that were taking over the area. And so Jesus, once he establishes his public ministry, he's going to go to Galilee? That's not where a true king of Israel should have gone. He should have been able to immediately, once he's about to start his public ministry, head to the powers that be in Jerusalem and take over once and for all. That sounds like a king we want to follow, yeah? But no. If we heed his call, we follow the king that's born in a ragtag community, following a ragtag entourage, going to people with all the wrong associations. In fact, we see in the Gospel of John, the Pharisees questioned Jesus' authenticity and legitimacy, even with all the miracles he did, because he was the one from Galilee. And Nicodemus was saying to his other Pharisees, well, every Jew deserves a true day in court to testify to who they are. And they said, what, are you from Galilee too, Nicodemus? You want to be from there too? And yet this is where Jesus launches his public ministry. The Galilee that was geographically for them far from Jerusalem. The, the Galilee that was considered politically and spiritually compromised too much Gentile influence, but this is where Jesus goes. It's also interesting in Matthew's retelling of who this Jesus is, it's almost as if he's totally retelling the story of the Exodus through Jesus. See if you see these same indicators. Chapter two, Jesus goes to Egypt for safety, his parents take him there for safety. And then as they return back to Israel, this prophecy is said that out of Egypt I will call my son, similar to Israel's deliverance in the Old Testament out of Egypt. Chapter 3, Jesus goes through then a baptism, which can be parallel to the sea being parted for Israel, deliverance through water. Jesus is then brought into the wilderness temptations for 40 days, similar to Israel's 40 years in the wilderness. And then immediately following the text we have this morning next week, where Pastor Todd will be taking us next, is the Sermon on the Mount, which could be parallel to Israel's receiving the law on Mount Sinai. What Matthew is trying to tell us is that this Jesus is the one who is going to demand everything of us, but he is the world's true king. He is the only one worth reorienting our entire lives around. Matthew is building an incredible case. 
Well, all these details, though, at least to me, are endlessly fascinating. I could go on and on. There's more. It would be tragic to simply rehearse the interesting details of our text without having Jesus approach you and me like he approached the four fishermen. Coming to Peter and to Andrew and to James and John and saying, follow me. He's calling someone even now. It would be tragic for us as a church to go through the Antioch process in 2018 and simply initiate some new programs and ideas. As Todd has laid out for us coming during the Lenten season, our Calvary Antioch process must start with our personal transformation. Our personal transformation then must evoke a church that takes new risks and challenges to share the hope and love of Jesus Christ. In our text this morning, Jesus doesn't just go to the masses, but he goes to individuals. He takes time to find them in their jobs and in their vocations. In our text this morning, Jesus encounters people, real people with real needs, real people with real brokenness, real people with real dreams and hopes for their lives and for the world. There must be an encounter like that for you and me. The question is, as Jesus calls out, will you follow him? Will you follow Jesus through our Antioch process? There must be an Antioch process for Jonathan Cummings and each and every one of you. I must begin to understand who I am. This Emmanuel, God with us, the promised Messiah who comes to bring life, comes to us and says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here and follow him. And when he calls us to repent, he's not simply just asking us to feel bad about a few bad things we did in our life. That is not what repentance is. Repentance is not just recalling in your mind a few really bad things you did that you feel really bad about. Repentance is a complete reorienting of your life around specifically Jesus of Nazareth. Repentance is a total transformation of life to follow Jesus to the places he goes, to the places he calls us. The question then for us this morning as we come to our text is to bring this text as painfully simple as we can and say, will you repent? Will you follow him? My Antioch process, my story, what is he demanding of me? I'm a son. My dad was an amazing survivor of an abusive and dysfunctional, broken family. I wish he were here today. He loved to make people laugh, and he would no doubt make you laugh. He died when I was 19. My Antioch process starts with realizing that I feel cheated to have to go through adult life without an earthly father. My mom, I'm a son to a man and a woman, 
My mom is more faithful than anyone in this room. She's incredibly loyal to Jesus. I think she wants to be with Jesus more than most people I know. And she will no doubt have greater access to him than me in the new creation. I'm a husband. The greatest gift to me in this life is and was Christine Edmondson. If you really got to know her, you'd be a better person too. I'm a dad to Isaac and Noah and Lily. They bring me joy. They give me hope. I'm a brother. I'm an uncle. I grew up in middle-class suburban America, the northwest suburbs of Chicago, North Hoffman Estates. I love the mountains. I love the feeling of being 12,000 feet up, overwhelmed by the beauty of God's creation. I've pretty much been a pastor my entire vocational adult life. If you are familiar with the Enneagram, I'm a frustratingly eight. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I have great friends, truly blessed to have great friends undeservedly great friends. I love soccer. I will argue with you until you think I'm insane that soccer is the world's greatest sport. Thank you. I'm not always easy to work with. Just ask Todd and Gerald. <laughs> Again, affirmations. <laughs> that was the wrong one to respond to. I love other cultures. I love being invisible in the heart of other global cities and watching God's world tick. I still think to myself, what do I want to be when I grow up? <laughs> I found help going to therapy. In fact, without him, this self-disclosure would feel near impossible. Jesus changed everything for me. I am honestly nothing and lost without him. I can specifically and vividly remember what I once was. You wouldn't want to be around him either. I love to think. I love to read. I love to argue about ideas. I think there are terrible racial injustices in our country, and I often feel lost in the resolution I often feel like I'm more of a contributor than a solution. This is where my Antioch process starts for me. To understand who I am, to repent of my brokenness and my weaknesses, to try to find my strengths that God can use in some surprising way. I bring all of this to my encounter with Jesus. And he asks two very simple but complex things of me to repent and follow him. In my repentance, am I willing to take all that I have listed for you and reorient that all around Jesus? Which means some of it I need to apologize for. Some of it I need to affirm. But all of it gets reoriented around Jesus. And then am I willing to follow him, to take him, let him take me down paths I am uncomfortable with, let him take me down paths I may be comfortable with, but to follow him till the end. 
There is so much more that could be said about our text this morning. Matthew's gospel is absolutely fascinating in the way he organizes this story. But I have intentionally wanted to bring it to this very simple reality. Will you repent and follow him? Wherever he's calling you to, will you repent and follow him? This is where our Antioch process as Calvary must start with us as individuals looking at ourselves and asking God to change us. And then as we collectively come together and rejoin about the transformation that God is doing in our own personal lives, we then have a platform to see where God can lead us as a church. I hope that you will, as Todd has laid out for us, seriously engage this process for the good of yourselves, for the good of this church, and the good of the world. May we be a church because of this process and encountering Jesus be priestly gifts to our communities. In just a minute, I'm gonna pray and close. And I'm gonna leave a moment for silence. And what I would like to do, like you to do during that time, is to, in your own heart and in your own mind, think of your story. Who are you? What is Jesus calling you to? Are you willing to lay your life bare before him and let him slowly transform you from the inside out? Let's pray. Father, with one heart and one voice, we come to you asking you to show us what a life of following you would be like. And so we come to you now in silence. Father, what comes to our hearts and minds about ourselves is no surprise to you. You know us, you fashioned us. You are our creator. You have given us life and breath and our being. You have asked us with these bodies, with these lives to honor and glorify you in everything we do and say. And so we come before you, Father, even now, asking you to speak to us. And while this can be a painful process, a hard process, we hold to the truths and the great commission that you will be with us. Wherever you lead and guide us, Father, you have promised to be with us. And so with one heart, we collectively affirm that you will be with us if we follow you. 
You will never leave us. You will never betray us. You will never fail us. But you will be with us, even to the hardest places. So Father, speak to us. Allow us to understand what it'll be for us to repent and follow you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.